Hey everyone, this is episode 40 of Sketch Watch Play, a pop culture podcast talking movies, TV, cartoons, video games, and everything that comes with those. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and most third-party podcast apps and directories. If you want to stay updated or send us feedback and topic suggestions, you can email us at sketchwatchplay at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SketchWatchPlay. Join the Discord server that I'll be uh, including links to in episode descriptions from now on. And if you enjoy what you hear, you can support the show by leaving positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, which help it help them promote it more, and spread the word to friends, family, social media, whatever. I am John Flurry, and today marks two occasions I'm very excited for. The first one being that we've uh, now hit the 40s. We're getting ever closer to episode 50, which I'm just personally going to view as a hell of a milestone, because I feel like people do that with every multiple 25. I don't know who decided that was the milestone, but I'll stick with it. But I'd say way more important than that. Today's guest means a lot for this show because we are taking a special visit back to the OG Sketch Watch Play pairing. I am so grateful that you've been able to take the time to talk today and help pick some amazing topics for us. Ladies and gents, Christopher Wade is finally on the show again. Chris, how are you? Hey, everyone. Hey, John. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be here. It is my pleasure. This has been a long time coming, uh, mm-hmm. both because of the show's hiatus and just uh, we've both been busy as hell. Yeah, we have been uh, pretty burdened <laughs> by yes. our own hobbies and by the media and unfortunately the world. Yes, yes. We, are. The, we all have, I was just talking to you about it before we started recording, we've all been hit in certain ways, but we've all kept going as well. And mm-hmm. real quick, like, just get some speed on this, because it's been a hot minute since we've had you on here, even as a guest. What are some, what are some things you've been working on or involved with? So, some of the things I've been involved with, of course, I'm still working on my film. Um, it's gotten a little bit of attention. I can't talk about what kind of attention quite yet, but some interesting developments. Those came. pesky NDAs. Because uh, <laughs> pesky NDAs, yeah. There's a voice uh, role I really want to talk about, but can't until the thing's out. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, me and my wife uh, moved to her parents' place uh, about a year and a half ago. We have been, well, uh, I don't want to say... Let me think. So uh, we've both been taking up a lot of cooking and a lot of baking, uh, my wife and I. That's awesome. Uh, So uh, besides the general hobbies of getting the film uh, up and running and just surviving COVID and um, playing a whole bunch of video games and trying to work through the carpal tunnel, we've been doing pretty well. That's fantastic, and I wish Serena the best. For people who mm-hmm. haven't listened to it, I think I want to say her biggest role in the show was during our Spider-Verse episode because I recorded that at your old place, mm-hmm. um, That's right. and she was had a great time. I just want to bring it up. I know that you have done a couple uh, podcast guest ins as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So going back to our previous episode and uh, kind of what's become a sister show at this point, you were on Generation Animation to talk about Soul. I was. Um, that was fun. I hadn't talked with the the, um, the Generation Animation guys for quite a while, so that was interesting. Yeah, um, those are always fun. Yeah, they, uh, it's always great to speak with those guys concerning animation and what's going on in the biz and, you know, some of the social implications of certain movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was really fun. Um, yeah. I said it on the last show, but I'll say it again. I love the movie, but I totally agree with you that uh, changing 22's casting would have solved a lot of uh, problems. It kind of would, <laughs> but it's neither here nor there. So, I mean, it's the movie is out. Um, the movie is out. It's about to, I assume, it's going to win an Oscar. Pro- so probably. I, I, I 
need to sit down and watch Wolf Walkers soon because I feel like that's the only the one that's going to be bidding for my attention. I, I really, really dig the look of Wolf Walkers. I really want to sit down and watch it. I um, I, I loved I Song of the Apple... Sea and uh, Secret of Kells, so I think I'm yeah, probably going to very least enjoy it. I, I dug Song of the Sea more than I like Secret of Kells. Mm-hmm. I would. Um, what's what? The the thing is, is that um, I don't have Apple TV. Yeah. So I'm I'm having a hard time just trying to sit. I don't I don't want to be the kind of person that logs on to a service and then logs back off because I know companies know we're doing that anyways. I want to try and be a little authentic and stick with the one, but you got to have something that I want to watch. And the only two things I want to watch on Apple TV are Central Park and the Wolfwalkers. Yep, <laughs> so I got like I got three. Those two in the uh, Snoopy show that I've heard pretty good things about. Right, right, right. The Snoopy show is on there too. Yeah, so maybe one day I'll check it out, or if not, I'll just grab. It. If it'll come out on Blu-ray, I swear I'll it, buy it. It better. Just, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was I want to bring up? This was a little longer ago, and I've honestly forgotten the name of it. You were on an episode uh, of a podcast that focuses on and spotlights black artists. Yes, it's called Black and Animated. It was sometime uh, last. It was sometime. It was about a year ago now. So sometime last February, March was uh, when I did that. Um, those. Uh, let's see. It was Way Singleton. And uh, Brianna, oh man, I'm blanking on her last name, and I feel real bad about that because they're really good people. Uh, they're they're amazing. One sec. Well, you are uh, helping so, spread the word right now, so there's that. Yeah. So, oh no, now it doesn't want to work. Brianna Williams, yes. So Brianna Williams and uh, uh, Wayman Singleton um, host the Black and Animated podcast. Um, there are a, they they give a lot of really great um, tidbits and spotlights on um, black and minority creators within the industry right now mm-hmm. uh and they're doing incredible things um at disney at nick at cartoon network just a whole bunch of stuff that they're highlighting um so it was really nice uh to be able to speak with them about um my little film working in indie uh, working in the animation and like just getting people uh more involved essentially um so that was nice i like that they're, they're really fun yep recommend people go and look that up and the show that both that and Generation Animation as a whole, if you like those individual episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have three main topics we want to move on to, but I do, I'm going to do a little bit of a lightning round because I, I will say if you have any recent media that you want to sum your thoughts up in like two or three sentences, I would love to hear that because I have two. Do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, you go first because I just uh, something just came to mind right at this moment that I do want to highlight. So nice. Go for it. I'll say two things on the game side. I I'm a little late to it because I was hesitant, but I'm binging Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity and liking oh. it a lot more than I thought I would. Okay. Uh, particularly because I didn't care for the original Hyrule Warriors. This is repetitive and it doesn't run as well, but it's pretty fun. It's it's cool to get more in the world of Breath of the Wild, even this kind of like an Elseworld story because. Minor spoilers, there's time travel involved, and they're using less Back to the Future loop rules and more Avengers uh, Dragon Ball rules. This is an alternate timeline. Okay. But it does mean okay. more opportunities to see these characters and actors and, and concepts built. Uh, and it, the characters feel distinct. Uh, okay. Also, That's cool. Yeah. Also, yesterday just finished Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Ooh. I don't know where you are with the, the Disney Plus Marvel we, shows. So um, we, literally, we literally just started uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier last night. It's really good. Uh, I enjoyed WandaVision, but there, it feels like there's a lot more uh, – let me put it this way. When they said that you know this was going to cover this, – this show really is about Sam, and I'm not going to spoil stuff. Uh, hopefully you've managed to stay unspoiled. There was a thing 
like midway through that broke the internet. Um, mm-hmm. But they, if you, if you think it's going to be something as smooth as, oh, this black man gets the shield and is immediately Captain America, and you think about the real world ramifications of that, this show genuinely explores that, genuinely okay. justifies it and explains it and fleshes both Sam and Bucky out in such great ways that being side characters in a two-hour movie couldn't allow them before. It's cool. such a great use of the format and touches on a lot of real-world parallels, both racially and not even like societally as well wise like like the villains in this are are direct result of thanos so it's like like and the conflict like i've been hoping like this whole event and the five-year gap and coming back should have ramifications beyond the obvious and they're they're going for it yeah that's good yeah i'll I'll, I'll be sure to keep and continue with it okay and so what are what are any recent piece of media you want to sum up real quick so uh on the game side i've been i've been kind of I want to say that I've been kind of interested in playing the brand new Bravely Default 2 that came mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the demo, and while I while I like it, um, I'm not really in love with the art style this time around, and um, I'm not really gravitating towards the characters like I did with the first Bravely Default. Anyone anyone who knows me knows that I'm a big JRPG person. So yes. uh, coming back to Bravely Default uh again after bravely second came out and after all these years the last the first bravely default was on the D- 3ds so it's been a while but i haven't really been getting into that game after the demo for one reason or another it Either didn't seem to blow not- up as much as the first no which is a shame because i really wanted it to but the art style just didn't grab me as hard for some reason like anyway. they, well like they didn't translate it to hd as well as they could have yeah, I think uh, some, something about it just doesn't seem right to me. And I didn't really gravitate towards the characters uh, as well as the first game. Maybe I was looking for those f- characters again, or I was uh, looking for the feeling those characters gave me the first time. And I'm a different person than I was six or eight years ago that that game came out. So maybe, yeah, so maybe that just wasn't for me. So I started playing uh, a series called Altilier Riza. I saw you playing that on my uh, Switch Frank activity, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's like, um, so uh, a lot of JRPGs go for this big bombastic story where it's like, oh, uh, the church or the the dark god has a The world-ending calamity. Yeah, and you have to save the kingdoms or save Midgar or some shit. Uh, But this one is just like, a girl has to find a job. Uh, Or I'm sorry, uh, uh, a big titty anime girl has to find a job. There you go, there you go. That's JRPG. (laughs) Uh, and uh, the the funny thing is, is that it's quite good, actually. Cool. <laughs> so it's it's not super serious. It's very slice of life anime and how you meet your friends and how you help solve their problems. But it does kind of like relax you because you're not just battling monsters day in and day out, but you're concocting recipes and making stronger or better weapons um, at your little cauldron or atelier. And uh, you're just in this little cottage just making shit happen. So it's a very cottage core RPG. I'm playing the sequel right now where it has a lot more action-based. And Oh, yeah. Didn't uh, they do action- a, a double pack? They, I don't know if they did or not. Um, but you but bought it? I, I, did, I did buy the second one. Okay. Um, and the game is quite fun and quite relaxing in a way that most JRPGs are not. Yeah, so that is a, uh, a pretty long-running series. I actually, back when I was a game critic, reviewed Atelier Ayesha on PS3. I, yeah, it's surprising like how far back those games go. I think they um, go back to PS2 even. They do. 
so I might be interested in checking out and checking those other ones out one day, but I'm having a blast with Altelia Riser 2 and 1. Nice. Um, so second thing, and then yeah. we can get right into it. Have you seen this show called Invincible? I watched the first episode and uh, the first and the second half of the second episode, the first half, the first half of the second episode, and I needed a breather because it, it pulls the rug out from under you big time. Yeah, it's rough. No spoilers, show. but you think no, the show's no, going to be one thing and then it punches you in the face. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a straight up face punch, gut punch, testicle punch, what have you. It's very surprising. But it's good. Very yeah, very surprising, very dramatic. I'd almost say we honestly, we've enjoyed it more than we've enjoyed the Winter Soldier. So, um the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier so nice. far. Uh so we're on the 8th episode where it looks like shit's about to wrap up. We don't know. We'll see what happens next Friday, but I encourage you guys uh, if you have Amazon Prime or Amazon Video, I'm sorry, or whatever the, the streaming service Prime is for Am Amazon Video, yeah, check out Invincible. It's extremely good. There is some wonderful talent on there. Uh, the voice cast is amazing. I'm yes. not going to tell you who is in it. Just be on the lookout for a couple of actors that but you all disclaimer, know. Disclaimer, if you are squeamish even with animated gore and violence maybe not yeah 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 like i right. said so, when it when it goes for it it it's in, i think it's intended to horrify you yeah it's definitely a shock value uh, uh a shock value kind of show but, but it's it got a good story some, to back it up yes it's definitely got some great story driven character driven moments so if you're okay with violence hyper violence even yep. and gore yep give it a shot i think yep. it's worth it all right, and I'm just going to say as a transition to our next thing, I haven't talked to many people about this outside my family, but I got to say to some degree in COVID, I have fallen down the VTuber rabbit hole. Oh. Well, two, two in particular, because there's like tons of big ones, but I saw that Ikem Bokum cartoon. It was like, what is this? Ikem Bokum. Ikem Bokum. And mm. now I've been binging Corone, the, the, dog, the dog girl. <laughs> okay she's just so random and funny i can't help but but laugh and i don't watch their live streams because they're in japanese usually or they're long but people will always do highlight reels and um mm -hmm. so i'm watching those i'm also subscribed to neoners who's an american one mm -hmm. also just weird and vulgar and and but Ooh. honestly funny i say watch like her ocarina of time videos where she just goes all out but okay. my long my point is I think I'm going to start doing fan animations of them because that's become a thing. Oh, neat. Cool. And I'm not going to spoil what, but I've actually – Corona, one clip that went viral of her is her miming, changing her AC while yelling beep, 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 beep. And that's <laughs> going to be our alarm sound. It's not going to be a regular alarm. It's going to be this Japanese girl beeping. Okay, cool. Let's but do it. Yeah, but getting to our, main, our, our first main topic, we've got about 20, 25 minutes for this. Uh, we're revisiting something from back in, I believe it was our Wonder Woman episode, uh, mm -hmm. back in like 2017, Jesus Christ, talking about our personal projects. So let's let's each give this like 10 minutes saying, Chris, you've got a lot to show about this online. Uh, tell me, how goes the will of monsters? When a man has but one thing left to lose, what will he do to protect it? <laughs> When a boy wants to prove himself, what will he sacrifice to do so? 
The Will of Monsters is, okay, for those who don't know, if you're new to this show, The Will of Monsters is my young adult action adventure fantasy film that I am making independently. So the idea is this witch joins forces with two bumbling scarecrows in order to survive the night against a violent group of crows. So the intention of this film is to act as a first episode of an eventual series. If it doesn't, it can stand on its own as just a standalone project. How I'm, but to answer your question, how I'm going about this project, how I'm doing with it, I'm doing very well, actually. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, um, there was a point earlier this year where I had a moment where I was like, holy shit, I'm in production now. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm down. So, I can't pull out now. It's, I it's, can't it's, pull out. <laughs> I can't pull out going. now. I'm go- yeah. So I've, I've gotten to the point now where. Um, I do need more animators and I do need more storyboard artists and background artists to jump aboard. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if I mentioned this um, and I probably have not. Yeah, it it has been a while since I mentioned this on the show. So I switched from Adobe Flash slash Animate to an entirely different program. Adobe Flash has not been very kind to me. And I, uh, I, I do feel that while it's effective for some animators... Personally speaking, I found that it's glitchy as hell. It's rather and, notorious for that, yeah. Yeah, and it's also been... I've also found it to have been stifling to my growth as an artist, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, this is intrinsic to me. I'm not saying that you're... I don't, I'm not saying that people should go... Could just drop Adobe Flash uh, if it if you can make lively art um, art for you, um, art out of it for yourself and for your own art. For me, personally, I, I found that I wasn't really growing with it. Uh, so I figured time to put it down, do some research into some other projects. Uh, I'm sorry, into some other software. So I was about to say I, you're, you're in no, this no, no, project. No, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, still in this project, but I started looking at other software to animate better for it. So I started looking at this thing called animation paper, which is for, uh, which I think has a, has a beta version still um, going on. And I found that it was pretty good. There's some other software out there called Krita and OpenTunes. Yep. Um, and, you know, you can just jump right on into those, give those a shot. You'll find that it works really well and probably better than spending, I don't know, $20, $30 a month for them. I spend 50 uh, bucks a month for the Adobe suite. Yeah. I wish I didn't uh, have to. That's how much I uh, was spending at that point. And then I said... Me and my wife agreed that it was time for us to like try some alternatives. Yeah. So we started buying things. Uh, we started buying more licenses for Clip Studio Paint and DaVinci Resolve for uh, for video editing. We haven't found anything uh, uh, as good as a replacement as we needed for After Effects. After Effects mm. is still really um, extremely necessary yeah. for positing and for giving your animations that uh, final I, final kind of polished look. Yeah, I will say I've switched from uh I've also switched to Clip Studio Paint for for drawing, not for animating. Mm-hmm. I'm still using Toon Boom Harmony. Uh yeah. but Clip Studio is so good. Like the the flexibility of its brushes and being able yeah. to share those and mm-hmm. maybe it's just me but one life-saving thing I found was the ability to change an entire layer to whatever color you want because I think my, yeah. my drawings look way better with colored outlines. So I'm mm-hmm. doing that and like simulating graphite pencil. Yeah. It's, the, it's the, awesome. The brush engines and these new, and these other programs are far better than what I have experienced in Adobe Flash even though they've made some improvements. Over and the Photoshop. Years. In Photoshop as well. What I'm currently using now, which I do enjoy, is a program called TV Paint. Yes. Um, and TV Paint is made specifically for 
getting that traditional kind of uh, hand-drawn look. So your drawings are actually freed up from using vectors and motion um, and motion tweens or just futzing with your line art and trying to smoothen it out stroke by stroke. Uh, this program, I call TV Paint the Clip Studio of animation programs. And Clip Studio even has an animation program built into it. But I think TV Paint has its layering system much better because you don't have to really bounce between folders all that much. And you can scrub through your audio frame by frame in case you need to do any um, any uh, any lip syncing after the fact. The results have been fantastic, I think. That's so cool. <laughs> so, Isn't it cool when you had those little breakthroughs like that? Yeah. So I, I was I was so depressed for a while because I was like, I don't even when a teaser came out, and a teaser, I mean, from based on what other people are saying, that's that's usually my gauge. Like I'm I'm confident um to a degree in my work, but I do try and listen to what other people say. And it's gotten a lot of great praise. But it is very stiff, I found. Mm. Uh, so when I look at the teaser now, and even though it is great, and I look at my animations and TV paint, I'm like, this is leagues better. I'm having a great time, actually. Yeah. I was kind of finding that with my drawings in Clip Studio. I'm like, oh, technology and my choice of software was kind of holding me back to some degree. Mm -hmm. It's a nice so, little discovery. Like the shackles are coming off. Yeah, so the, the weighted the weighted shackles, the weighted wrist braces, the inhibitor rings. <laughs> yeah, um, so I felt I felt a lot better about my art when I was able to like freely like draw a little more loosely instead of like very rigidly as I was used to in Adobe Flash and other programs. That is to say that the tool doesn't make the artist, but it does help. You, but using the right tool for the job can improve your skill set right, a bit more. Right. So there's been that. That is to say, I've gotten a lot farther in my animation uh, for this project. But another thing I found that was kind of holding me back a little bit more was how I was organizing the, pro the project. So the Will of Monsters, uh, whenever I do, uh, hand out assignments, I just hand them out either via email or like a Google Doc and be like, here's the shot list in Google Doc or go buy this Google Doc or that Google Doc or what have you. Um, and if you need to refer to the animatic, here are the time codes, and I just sent that as email. And that can work, but it's also very disorganized. And when you have like a, I don't want to call it very disorganized, but for me, it was hard to keep track after a long period of time. After working on a particular project for so long, you kind of need to make your assignments a little bit more consolidated. So it'll be easier for everyone to see things visually yeah. if there's more than one or two people working on a project. Clear, a clear vision. So I didn't, God, I, I hate Excel sheets so much. <laughs> I, I hate them, but I, I couldn't get away from it. So I had to do something. I just didn't want to do like Microsoft spreadsheets or Google sheets or whatever. I wound up finding this project manager software called Airtable. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to customize tasks and projects and certain variables to a point where other people can view them. They can check them off. You can uh, assign different projects according to their needs. It's very flexible. Um, there's a wide variety of views and tables that you can come up with so you can schedule out your tasks or you can see which tasks are overlapping if you use a paid version. Airtable, the version of Airtable I'm using is very basic. It's the, it's the free version. And I've, I've been able to map out the entire film 
and all the storyboard revisions I need to make, there are a ton, mm-hmm. uh, and all the background designs that I need to make, and there are more than a ton of there. <laughs> so we've I'm said it before, at, and we'll say it again: animation's hard as balls. Animation's hard as balls, but and my project is extremely ambitious, and I, I, I and having a visual uh, clue as to see what your project, how your project is doing, um, helps. Being it, being it, it, it does help. But I, I have to admit seeing it all laid out before me and seeing all these shots that have been that have been unassigned and marked unassigned i'm like oh no <laughs> what have i done <laughs> what have i created what is uh, this monstrosity but, yeah but it has it has helped a lot and i i do think that it's far easier for me to keep track of things uh with a with a legit project manager than i was uh without it nice so this is a long way of saying my animation has gotten a lot better. Um, my project management has gotten a lot better. The project has gotten uh, a great deal more attention. And uh, I'm happy for it. It's still a long ways to go. We still have a lot of work to do. Um, but I'm pleased with the progress that we have made. That is so cool. I I, I did want to ask because I technically saw it in some form you you i was lucky enough you showed me a animatic version of it back when we did that previous recording is Mm -hmm. that still the same script and storyboards you're intending to go with or have there been some big changes there have been some significant changes to Mm -hmm. it there are storyboards um that have have been needed revised there are lines that needed changing by and large the story is still the same um a lot of beats individual moments yeah a lot of a lot of beats and individual moments needed to be changed um, there are some shots that need to be either rearranged or redone or recontextualized. Um, I'm not going to say it's going to it's going to look like an entirely different film, but it'll look far better and more put together uh, than you've remembered it uh, when you last saw the animatic. I'm excited because I love the animatic. Yeah, oh, I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah, you, you got something really special there. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah. So we've got about because like I said I'm doing the timing. Do you do you want to kick off any particular questions about spacious? Les. You doubt my talents? I'm hurt. Well, only because... Because let's face it, you and I both know that when you talk big and can't back it up, that can sometimes make things way worse. The key word there being sometimes. Uh, so how's that going? I've noticed that your animation quality has gotten better as well. Thank you. Yeah, I've Mm -hmm. been doing a lot of sketch practice and... Uh, I'll start off by saying that the Wario collab is still going um, because mm-hmm. we got the rest of the cutscenes to do. And I saw you comment on and share my Orbulon shot. So thank you for that. Sure. That one, I really challenged myself because I was like, no puppet rigs. This alien's going to be completely old school hand drawn frame by frame. And mm-hmm. I picked a bad design for to do that, something <laughs> like that at such a low experience level because he's such a weird layout in that game. Um, he is. But at the same time, he looks really good in how you how thank you. Him. Yeah, I think it helps that it's oh. one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite games. Um, oh, cool. And I stuck in a bunch of piggy references, including steamed hams, because uh, he, he drops burger these hams because he's a dummy <laughs> alien doesn't get his beef. Uh, but spacious is now granted. Spacious is going to be still going to be primarily puppet rigs because I want to do this. Is in case where I want it to be a one off short one each one's gonna be like 10 minutes and each i want to do the keep doing this for years like an ongoing series like like an mm. ed's world or a lower budget busy busy pop you know layout yeah um but i i definitely want to do hand-drawn for key moments for like i know that there's a part with this so the, the first episode is full since we did the last uh talking about it i did put out the test short that i mentioned in early 2018 uh yeah. since then 
a lot of the sets have stayed the same. The main voice cast has stayed the same, but the characters have all been redesigned because um, mm. my art styles kept changing and I kept going back and gradually rethinking them. I'll, I'll, and I want to, because you have a, uh, a Twitter for Will, Will of Monsters. Can you, can you name drop it, actually? Yeah, the Twitter for Will of Monsters is just Will of Monsters. So that's W-I-L-L-O-F-M-O-N-S-T-E-R-S. Nice. Uh, uh, I definitely intend to start one for Spacious, but I want to have a little more to go off of. I was getting, I was basically getting into full production right when COVID and a bunch of personal setbacks happened, so mm-hmm. real life had to take priority for about a year. Sure. But the cool thing is, the first episode is fully written and voice recorded. Uh, so cool. I'm challenging myself with this series because unlike what I've done before, I'm like I want to fully storyboard this, both yeah. for both for experience because I want to try and learn a bunch of skills if I ever want to, you know, be be involved professionally. Uh, mm-hmm. And because it'll help the final product, and yeah. I want to get in touch with people who have already, you know, provide the voices and apologizing for the pause, you know, explaining why in broad terms, and uh, I want to send them like a fully animated scene and a fully storyboarded scene to show them how it's coming along and how it's resuming life, and that it's not a dead project. Yeah. Uh, I'm also, I've, I think I said in the past, I was grateful for the uh, for well, good for all the actors. We've got some great people on the on the side, uh, supporting cast. But the uh, two main actors have really been doing some amazing stuff lately. I mentioned uh, PM Seymour, who's voicing Jed and the Ros- Roscoe the Robot. Uh, one, he's no longer a he, he's a they. Um, mm-hmm. Two, they've built a really sizable audience online, continue to work in various games and indie projects and anime. I know they're in mm-hmm. uh, Food Wars, which is, has a pretty mm-hmm. big audience. And Kaylee Mills, who voices uh, the sisters, uh, Leslie and Kiki. I remember back when I I was saying about like she was kind of early in career, so I was like she's in something called a Cultic Nine. And I now, but now I can say she's Amelia and Re Zero. She's Misako oh, cool. and River City Girls. She's a character in Kakarugoi that I don't know the name of, but I really want to watch that show. So like, <laughs> it's been cool seeing them develop amazing talents and and filmography, and still, as far as I know, being great, able you know willing to be a part of this and bringing these characters to life. So thanks to you guys. That's- that's um, rad, dude. Yeah. And so just beyond that, another audio uh, benefit is I found this uh, service that I was I could join up of on YouTube on well for YouTube and other sites called Epidemic Sound. Kind of an unfortunate name right now, but it could be worse because a pandemic yeah. and epidemic are very different things. Do you mm-hmm. remember when I said I would love to have like not just like music but like vocal backing tracks for yeah. for ambience and stuff? And I was kind of influenced by revisiting the raccoons of all shows. Yeah, um, I do remember just, that. Yeah, because I just adds something really cool to it. Um, it's different yeah. from being a musical, even though we're going to get to a very good musical later on. Uh, mm-hmm. But Epidemic Sound has a bunch of royalty-free but very good-sounding uh, tracks, instrumental and vocal of all sorts, and I can license them to use for stuff on YouTube and presumably other sites like Newground. So I've gone from one generic uh, instrumental for a montage scene to a really cool like synth-pop song. I think it's going to help add some character to it. But there are a couple goals I have with this show. So one, I hope people can become genuinely attached to its four leads. They all have unique goals, paths, flaws, and strengths. I also want to, over time, take the audience to like a really interesting and fantastic other world. The first episode, I'm not trying to tackle all that. It's going to be kind of an adventure of the day with these four to iron them out and practice the animation and stuff like that yeah. and writing. But I want to be able to introduce bigger conflicts, themes, and like genuine pathos and heartbreaks and victories for these characters in their world. Like I haven't even told anyone about the villains yet, and I'm going to leave it at that because I am hyped to show people this. And honestly, the show we're going to talk about to round skip it out is going to be I think a big example of something I'm going for with this because okay. holy shit. And I also just want to say because 
we're kind of running low on time for it, but even if you were only introduced to this idea back in the that 2017 episode, this has been I know this has been a long, long time coming, and I apologize from the bottom of my heart if you've been interested in this. And same goes for the Wario cartoons, because I want I want to do more of that as well. And I'm actually writing the script for the next Wario as well. I'll probably be uh I'm doing commission my first commissioned animation right now, but after that I'm gonna be ping pong between those two personal projects. Mm. Um but I've spent so much time inactive and doing other things in life, trying to find myself only to realize I was on the right path years ago and mm-hmm. no point dwelling on the past, only look forward to the future. So yeah. do you have any other questions about spacious or, or observations or whatever? Well, you practically answered everything I was about to ask about the voice actors. Um, you've already talked about the, from the, um, the software that you're using for it, which Toon is, Boom uh, Harmony. Oh, I will say mm-hmm. I'm incorporating clip studio because I decided to try and draw all the backgrounds in it with like Ooh. a slightly different style. Like have you ever, you ever noticed, um, I say this, I ever noticed, but we we're animation geeks. I I've really learned, come to appreciate why you should, uh, do colored outlines for your background and black outlines for your characters mm-hmm. for emphasis. Yeah. For people who don't know technicalities, it helps them uh, be distingu- more distinguishable from each other and let you know where mm-hmm. your attention should lie. Yeah, it's hel- it helps provide contrast. Contrast, focus, but also staging. Like, I'm practicing the uh, rule of threes in background and shots as well. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm starting to study cinematography and script. I'm, j- I'm just trying to practice all the stuff that goes into, like, an indeed 2D production and see where my strengths <laughs> lay. And even beyond that, just keep working on this because this means so much to me. We, you know, gl- we each have. Gl- Go ahead. I was about to say I'm glad there's this. Um, uh, we're 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 going we're meandering a bit. It's okay. Uh, uh, so there is a um, there is a really good uh, storyboarding, t- not tutorial, but set of guides out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pro. Let's see. I think it's by Mike Maloney. Um, Let me see. No, it's by Nick. It's by Nick Paris. I'm sorry. Uh, so there's this really good uh, TV story, um, uh, learning how to storyboard uh, uh, PDF book okay. by by Nick Paris out there, and I can share it with you because he goes over um, basics like camera, uh, rule of thirds, perspective, nice. how to use a grid, uh, why why those grids are important. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here and it's several pages long. So I'd be willing to, uh, to send that to you if you want to take a look at it. And on that note, Crony is beeping. So, oh, okay. You know. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Crony, shut up. All right. So good note to end on that part on it. But now let us begin our two bigger topics. Let me press Crony's timer right here. I say that like like I know her, like she's my holographic wife. Going back to, I I don't want a holographic wife, and I know you I don't feel either. Like, I I feel like it's that move. Uh, oh God, we're doing that bit. Oh again, her, <laughs> yeah her. <laughs> but it's, it's, but it's the more realistic version is in ScarJo. It's an anime girl. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mean to tell me that you could have taken your hand out of that cuff at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, um, funny thing, so both of our, we're tackling two pretty big topics today for our main things uh, in a short span of time, but I think we still can find plenty to say. Technically, I was the one who brought these both up for this episode, but I brought them up because of something you had said in this case, and your overall history of fandom with the second. Uh, because if you go back to, I want to say, episode 10 or so, early in this run, uh, we did my favorite movie ever, which is The Iron Giant. 
and mm-hmm. I decided to be like, I know some of Chris's influence, but I just asked you off the top of my head, like, Chris, what is your favorite movie? And you were very, without a, without missing a beat, was like, who framed Roger Rabbit? I'm like, great movie, let's do that someday. And now we're doing Roger Rabbit. So to kick things off, Chris, since this movie means a lot to you, what was your initial history with it? My initial history was uh, with that movie was... Uh, my parents wanted to, uh, wanted, I'm guessing my parents wanted me to sit down and watch something. So I'll be out of their hair. Sure. So they just turned on who framed Roger Rabbit. And I was like, what? Seven, eight at the time. Uh, yeah. and by God, like, okay. So we look at Roger who framed Roger Rabbit now, and it looks impressive still. Yeah. Uh, but we kind but I mean, it doesn't really hold a candle to like all the really big CG live action animated well, stuff. Well, uh, that's the that thing. Is it's, it's one. It's not going for that. It's going for no. old school. This is like hand drawn ink and paint animation. Yeah, at the time it was doing. I, I know a lot of people who review this movie are going at the time, but yeah, that does make a difference because at the time there wasn't a lot of. There, there wasn't really a lot of big budget things that were merging live action and animation together. Not on this level. Kid, you'd, you'd have little no. like brief shots and like some Disney stuff, but it was like very yeah. still frames. They weren't directly interacting with each other. This was yeah. going for something. This was a huge film. Like even at the time, people within Hollywood were like, "We're not sure if this is going. This thing is going to make it." There are these weird rules that both animation companies, MGM and and, and Disney, are and fighting Brothers. back and forth. And Warner Brothers are going back and forth with. Uh, the, uh, we don't uh, we don't know what this rabbit character is going to be. At least from the paparazzi standpoint, they kept, mm. uh, the, it kept it. It was. It was a shit show from the outside looking in. Mm. And then when the movie came out, it was. It was an explosion of creativity. At least to me, it was because at the time I was thinking like all this stuff was actually happening. Cartoons <laughs> are real. Gonna, I say when I was eight years old. I'm gonna walk outside and look for some. Maybe maybe it's been in front of me all along. That's exactly uh, what I was doing. I was such a little insane prick as a kid. That's looking not a for like, That's having no, imagination. No, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. So back then, I lived in a neighborhood where no one was excited about cartoons as mm-hmm. I was. So uh, when teachers saw me acting like a goof in class, uh, they expected me to be very polite and very respectful and to be very quiet. But instead, I'm over here jumping up and down like like fucking Daffy <laughs> Duck off the walls uh, because like the the mere mention of car- anything related to cartoons got me pumped as a kid, got me hyped, and it's all because of Roger Rabbit because of that 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 insane merger between live action your and teachers, animation. Your teachers, Chris, sound like they just really need to laugh. They really, did, they, they really did need a lot. <laughs> they, they, really, they really needed a Roger Rabbit in their lives. They really uh, did. Uh, but let's, but speaking um, of – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was about to get into something a little personal, but we don't need to get into it. Okay. But I will uh, say uh, even though Roger is the title character of this, this is Bob Hoskins' movie. Yeah. That's uh, exactly he, right. He, Rush Soul, has gotten – has continued to get a, a lot of, of praise for it, – it, not just the acting in general, but that – he so much of it he's talking to no one mm-hmm. and he he's kind of having to be the straight man to a lot of crazy and silly stuff and he both does a wonderful job like i said playing off the characters and in general like i noticed on this play playthrough yeah i played it <laughs> no on this watch through the part where he stops at the tunnel that goes in toontown and it's like when he, he has this man up moment they do like yeah. a dramatic zoom in and there's like minutiae, like little eyelid twitches. Like he's 
he he really committed to this. Yeah, he is in the moment for you know for better or worse. Uh, I mean, there there were a lot of times when Bob Hoskins will go on to say like he would like see the rabbit from time to time. Yeah, uh, just because of how deeply he ingrained himself in the film. Um, and I forgot what he died of, but it was essentially like he had Alzheimer's beforehand. Yeah, I don't know if that it's, it's a shame. I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm not. I don't, I don't know enough about science to say whether or not Roger Rabbit did him in. But, <laughs> oh, uh, Jesus, man. No, 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 no. I'm not saying – God, that, that did come off as wrong. I'm sorry. This movie killed no, him. Wh- no, no. But there were times when he was say- uh, when, when he said that uh, he would bring the rabbit home with him like mentally. Like it would just oh. be there and he would have like discussions with like his – his son or his nephew or something. I remember. I remember an interview that was saying uh, saying something alluding to that quote. So kind of practicing uh, being in character even when he wasn't filming. Well, even when he wasn't filming, he kind of. I would. There are times when I hear about actors who inadvertently go back into their role because they're so deep into it, right? That like it's, right. it's hard for them to kind of get away from the role that they've or, kind of been. Or you have method right? actors like Daniel Day Lewis who just stay that way. Yeah. So uh, I kind of when Bob Hoskins talks about like, you know, bringing the rabbit home with him, I kind of believe him in saying that and that there are times when when uh, when I was young, I was like, holy shit, like I would love to see these cartoon characters not knowing just how like not knowing just how like uh, socially detrimental that can be mm-hmm. uh, uh, growing up in real uh, growing up in the real world. Sure. Uh, so this movie to me always felt like um it was it was t- it was reaching beyond the screen to me and sa- and and fooling me into believing that there are uh, and to other there are other things and beings in this world that have their own set of rules that, that operate totally different from how i operate even their own little section of the world even their own little section of the world it was a it, <laughs> I was nine. I believed that there was an actual Toontown somewhere, uh, and I wanted, it. and it just had to find it. It's somewhere underneath this couch. Uh, maybe this tunnel. Maybe this tunnel. Maybe this tunnel. But th- it, this is a long-winded way of saying that uh, that is the movie that got me started on the path I am now. I, yeah, uh, it was your Iron Giant, very, basically. Yeah, it's very expensive, but that's where I am right now. <laughs> we, you didn't choose the life. The life chose you. Or, the life chose me. I don't know. Roger chose you. Um, but I, I want to say, I'll just say real quick, I think I saw this movie once as a kid. I wish I had seen it more, but um, my only memory is of watching it at like age five or six at my uncle's and being fucking terrified by Judge Doom's reveal. Yep. That was, uh... <laughs> it's, it's so good. And it's... It's it's very frightening and very effective. Never has a chipmunk voice been so intimidating. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? It's well, he's shrieking it like yes, yeah. like this, and it <laughs> sounds like a serial killer. Um, yeah, and I also cannot unsee it now because I remember we joked about that in uh, our Christmas tree episode, and you mm-hmm. referred to the knives as titty rockets. <laughs> titty, they were titty rockets. I, I can't they? unsee it now. Thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but Christopher I, Lloyd if, is also a lot of fun in this. But there are a lot of – I wanted to say because this is – Robert Zemeckis at the top of his game. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's just not the same director he used to be. I tried watching his Witches remake and man, wasn't feeling it. Um, but coming at this – like I guess this is in between Back to the Future and its sequels. And 
you can definitely see touches that it's the same director. Like I wrote them down. One, there's I feel like there's a certain level of grit and placement to its settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, there are like slightly exaggerated moments, even with the live action characters, but it kind of helps get come come up with this very specific reality he's going for. Uh, mm-hmm. Small moments and running gags that set up pay big payoffs. Like you might start thinking, like, oh, they're gonna laugh themselves to death. That's just a silly that would like that would happen. Oh no, that helps save the day. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like how Back to the Future sets the stage before Marty time travels with a bunch of stuff yeah. you're gonna see later. Um, and uh, what's the last one I, ha- I had here? Oh, love of the retro. Because the love of the what? Love of the retro, like oh, stuff that yeah. even at the time was retro because so much of the. Uh, like its main tunes may be made up, but their designs and mannerisms, and then the background characters, like it's clear how much people making this grew up on like vintage Disney and Looney Tunes and MGM and all that because yeah. of who you see, how they act, how they move. Um, and there's other cool stuff like this is one of Mel Blanc's last performances as the Looney Tunes guy. He, he died like yeah. a year or two afterwards. Yeah, that's that was rough. Uh, well, I mean, he had a good he had a good run. <laughs> He did, but it was still like very surprising, right? Like I remember, I remember being a kid knowing when he died. Like, oh, I was too was, young for was, that. I was like three. It was shortly after the uh, the Jetsons movie. Yes, they happened. had to re-record some of his dialogue because he yeah for Spacely. Uh, same thing happened with with George Jetson's voice died recording that movie. Wow. Yeah, Andrea Romano voice directed. She talked about it in an interview. Um, <laughs> it's a cursed movie, but. Uh, I also uh, th- this let's just let's also talk about like even though they are the main characters like how mind blowing was it to see Donald and Daffy together or Mickey and Bugs talking to each other and stuff like that like that was, was I think because Spielberg produced like he was the one with the clout to make that happen. I, I it was mind blowing in a way where like if, th- if this was like. Um, all right, so everyone lost their shit when 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 Michael Jordan started playing basketball with with Bugs Bunny, right? Yeah, like, we'll see how we'll like, see how much we lose our shit with LeBron. <laughs> well, I mean, now it's kind of expected because companies do crossovers all the right, time, right? Right. Like, right. like you can expect like like uh, I just I just got done with a conversation with someone else saying that uh, the Avengers is its own crossover universe. Like you get in, you you have you have several one off characters have their own one off movie and then they all cross over yeah and then some of those characters get their own shows now yeah so that was that was kind of my impetus that 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 was my that was my uh, my my introduction to that feeling like oh, like of course cartoons go, like go to the same town <laughs> and <laughs> like, same like they, movie studio to shoot their cartoons yes, and they don't get their lines they, wrong they get their their it makes their stars up with birds yeah it like to, to me as a kid i was like that makes sense they're just actors yeah like, yeah there's so a couple other like, i i remember uh looney tunes back in action also went with that kind of world and actors thing too it's it's but roger rabbit i think was the one that kind of solidified it yeah it definitely did so uh that that kind of seeing bugs bunny and Mickey Mouse skydive together was great. Seeing Daffy Duck and Donald blew my up. Uh, I think it's a stronger scene. For That's it. the highlight for um, me. Yeah, because they yeah. they really let those two go at it. Because Bugs is a smart like, but Mickey's kind of like you know the nice guy underdog. He's not going to provoke anyone. Daffy and Donald, yeah. you get on their bad side, they'll let loose. Da- ba- back in the day, Daffy and Donald were just pure sociopaths. <laughs> I think like. 
so so the new Ducktales kind of like dads Donald up a bit, a bit or more. Uncles him up, yeah. Yeah, uncles. Well, I mean, he basically raised the triplets, so they. They st- they stopped making Uncle Donic uh, Uncle Donald the guy who who like blows his top grows grows devil horns and <laughs> starts chasing the nephew. That's right. Yeah, he did do that once. <laughs> and and now nowadays he's just the, he's the not, I don't want to say the cool uncle, but yeah, they they kind of dadded him up a bit, and they were like, yeah, I mean, he's like he 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 wants to be there for his boys. He always calls them the boys or his boys or yeah. Or, but or he's 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 not with the boys in this. He's, he's no trying, trying to uh, outplay this other this other crazy duck. Back in the day, those two were murderers, and I love <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, Daffy's Daffy's change is even more like noticeable. I'm sure. I guess in document how like he originally was like a very kooky kind of lighthearted guy and then he became like the cynical guy getting screwed over like there's i mean the chuck jones era there's a very clear divide in daffy and the one this is the first yeah daffy definitely uh was more in tune with his roots uh in 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 that moment in the movie nowadays he's kind of like uh he's he's the super chatty kind of um kind of know-it-all uh so uh uh, sociopathic idiot Uh, that plays the, at least in the the Looney Tunes show and the new Looney yeah, Tunes cartoons. Say. Yeah, and the new Looney Tune cartoons that are out now, he's more back to his roots. Like that whole right show, the art design is back to like the Bob Clampett era. It's very mm-hmm. clear they're trying something different in terms of retro. Um, yeah. I also want to say something that always throws me in that duel is like, when did Daffy have locks of hair? That's new. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always like. Those those little touches that that the animators just did just to just to have fun. Uh, like well, that's the thing. This movie is gorgeous, both live yeah. action and the animation. Like I think it's you know we I think we've touched on Richard Williams in the past, R.I.P. But this was kind of his most successful project. It wasn't the most personal. That was Stephen the Cobbler. But like man, this guy and his crew just they got it. Mm-hmm. It's Definitely. it's like almost all on ones. It's. They had to incorporate like these turnarounds, these pans, stuff. Just stuff they didn't have to do. Like when Eddie is hacksawing the uh, handcuffs, he hits a swinging light. They have to animate the light swinging back and forth across Roger on top of his zoom in and moving. Yeah, yeah. God, that's so much work. Uh. But, it's, but it, this is this is what I'm talking about in terms of the effect it had on you. It's because they put in this work. Yes. They had the money. They had the clout. They had the talent. It was kind of this serendipitous production. All right, so. Back then, as a kid, I would kind of like geek out at like you know, oh boy, oh like like Roger Rabbit like hopped up on on Eddie Valiant's back or or, or on his chest, and he's telling him about he's telling him about the weasels who are coming to kill yeah. him. Yeah. Um. And now, as an adult who does animation, I'm like, oh my god, that's a lot of work. Because they oh had Lord. to make objects change, like be picked up, deform the clothes, uh, have a mm. car being driven by tunes, stuff like that. Also, you mentioned the weasels. Can I just say that I love the the gangster weasel designs? Oh, they're great. You have the straitjacket one, the t-shirt, and beanie dopey one. Those are fun. But you have these three like G-Man gear. They look legit slick, and the animation in the lead one is like some of the best in the movie. Like when he's mm-hmm. coming around Eddie's apartment, it's just so smooth. Also, his uh, his voice actor passed a few months ago. Oh, that's uh, R.I.P. David Lander. Me getting geeky for a second though. His uh, his daughter's a voice actress now. She's oh, uh, she's Tara in Final Fantasy stuff and uh, oh, cool. uh, Kinsey <clears throat> in Saints Row, which I love. Sweet. So, uh, um, so go ahead. Uh, so um, as an adult, 
watching uh, Roger Rabbit and looking back at all those frames of animation. And, uh, and yeah, we all hear the stories about how Disney and Warner Brothers and MGM had to like do the same amount of frames for every scene. <laughs> Particularly oh, Mickey and Donald. I mean, Mickey yeah. and, and uh, Bugs. And Bugs and Bugs. Uh, we all hear about that, those stories, but I remember talking, I may have told this story before, but I remember speaking with an animator from Roger Rabbit mm. and Al saying, I, I gave him compliments on this, on, on, on his work. And he had this 500 mile stare oh. as, <laughs> as, oh, no. he said, as he said, uh, I think it was, uh, uh it was Andre, um, Andreas Deja. You talked and to him? I did. He came, to, he, he, he came to AI for a while. Wow. Um, he, he spoke at AI and he, and they were showing off, um, Bambi, and he walked. He walked out just to kind of chill out because I, uh, I guess he was kind of tired of looking at it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he was talking with um, me and some friends at the time, and uh, I think for his work on Roger Rabbit, and he had the five. Uh, he had the like the Vietnam stare, and he was saying there were times when we had gotten the buttons wrong on Roger, and so they said go meant, back and do it again. So that means I had to go back and redo all the buttons. And a lot of those shots are on ones because of all the camera moves that they do. Yep. So we they had to do all those buttons that, several times over. <laughs> that is such a Richard Williams story because I know uh, if you get like Thief and the Cobbler was full of that. Do you know about the cards shot in that? Yes. So oh, the villain in that has it's this rhyming guy played by uh, Vincent Price, and he's boasting about like, ah, oh, these people are like plain dog cards, and I control the decks. And he's like flipping like like feet apart a whole deck of cards, and somebody meticulously mm. animated it, and then they yeah. showed it to Richard Williams, and he said, "You had a duplicate of this one card. Do it all again." Oh my god! It's it's, it's a step too far, I think, in that in that yeah. the card thing. Button maybe a card that's a who cares about that? But still, it shows the dedication. It show it shows dedication. It shows how far we've come in animation because now. uh animators are like let's design our let's have some forethought in how we design our characters and yeah. the things that they do so we don't have to animate those specific things a hundred times over Sometimes i actually have another have, have another funny uh quote about that from a lesser but still well animated movie uh a crazy nights uh mm-hmm. apparently if you watch behind the scenes of that because you know it's winter and everybody's wearing coats uh, at some yeah. point early in the design process, somebody looked at a coat and said, I know people usually have three buttons, but let's take it down to two because each button's a $10,000 button. Oh, wow. That makes sense, actually. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me if that became like a code a code phrase among the crew. Like, well, that would be a $10,000 button. And okay. I know that like CG can make some of this easier since you have to redraw it, but there's still a lot of motion and texture and and appeal stuff they're just it's its own can of worms and you got to take factors into it that, that's that's exactly right yeah. every form of animation comes with its own perks and valleys and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's and not i know just- i know we're talking a lot about the technicalities of this but i also gotta say this is a very well-structured story and uh character arc for eddie valiant it is um it's Absolutely. a loving tribute to both animation and i haven't seen a lot of noir but it's definitely like I've seen something like Chinatown and there's a very similar thing with like it's actually this big corporation that's going for that. I think mm-hmm. even if we're talking animation, Rango was kind of a tribute to that with the villain spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I will also say <laughs> because of it it's being set clearly in post-war Los Angeles, uh like the mid-40s, mm-hmm. um, 
I, because I haven't seen much noir and I obviously didn't live in the 40s, as far as you know, uh, the establishing exterior shots and jazzy background music gave me LA noir vibes more than anything. And Aww. I would totally play a prequel action adventure game where you're the Valiant Brothers solving tune crimes and mysteries and pressing X to doubt Elmer Fudd. Oh, that's that's cute. I would like that I'd too. Actually, it. it'd be like seeing Nightmare again. But it's that's actually one of the reasons that they never did any sort of sequel was that, and Spielberg been busy. But I also think you know, even if the sequel was good, it would kind of cheapen the value of this. So it's kind yeah. of blessing. It has to it has to stand as its own thing. I think. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. There are rumors, uh, if not like full on uh, confirmations that a that a sequel or a remake is in development it's been in development for years but it i i just don't know this point i don't know at this point either and i hope i i I, i'm not i'm not we don't need it we don't need it and like i said robert zemeckis isn't the filmmaker he used to be i'd rather not yeah we'll see we'll see what happens we've still got some time left so let me just say let's talk about the uh the elephant in the room i think it hit me on this viewing why i never found jessica rabbit as attractive as so many others do what's that Uh, so it all comes down to the face. Her nose is basically a flat area with two nostrils, and it makes her look kind of like an alien, except when she's from the side. Then she looks pretty cool. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she's still a fun character. And uh, who is it? Kathleen Freeman doing the voice? I don't I so. know, actually. Yeah, I've no, they got – she, she, she never was checked the one, on I'm going to look it up. It, she was the one who they got like a uh, Hollywood – actor for because like Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger is primarily a voice actor for a lot of the, uh, the same, you know, the existing characters they got, whoever was playing them at the time. I think yeah. the one thing I find funny is that when Droopy shows up as the, uh, elevator bellhop, that's Richard Williams. Yeah. That's Richard Williams. Going down, that's pretty sure. good. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's little... pretty good. That's pretty good. Actually. He good did a good him. Droopy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. There were a couple, that's... Um, let me see. Yeah, it was Kathleen Turner. She was uncredited, but um, yeah. But I, I'd also say that in terms of character, I think uh, Eddie's a great character. Roger is great since he's he wouldn't he doesn't have enough like of an arc to be a main character, but he really works for helping move Eddie along. I yeah. do think uh, Jessica is pretty by the on the straight and narrow through the movie. Like she has like she cares about Roger. I always like when she legitimately freaks out at the vet. Like it's but I'm like, more of that. She's kind of sticking to the femme fatale thing a bit too hard. And I think for being a cartoon, she could have some more funny moments. That's fair. Uh, I, I, I mean, I honestly think that the that the cartoons are more of the are, – are more along the lines of set pieces and, and supporting cast sure. uh, than they are like full-on uh, uh, full having the character dynamics that we – we nowadays look for in animation. Yes, like I said, it's it's they're sticking to the format and style of those old shorts. They're like, yes. we aren't having some deep thing. Roger makes it very clear our purpose is to make people laugh. Like one of my favorite yes. parts is when he breaks all the, all the cuffs. You couldn't know that all along? No, only when it was funny. It, only when it was funny. Like they have their own internal set of rules that makes them work. So when it comes to when it comes to this specific film and this um, this specific film has its own lines has its own rules and obligations that it needs to stick to back in those days cartoons were i don't want to say they were only funny and only for the purpose no, of there was like, there was experimental stuff too yeah but these days you you can turn left and sneeze and you'll find dramatic cartoons we're gonna get into one yeah 
So it's uh, uh, so it kind of makes sense that uh, I, I'm not trying to poo-poo your point saying that Jessica uh, that that Roger Rabbit doesn't have uh, doesn't have a lot of mythos or or, or character arcing because oh I, I, I wasn't but, saying Jessica needs to have an arc I just wish she had she had more variety in her in her personality. okay no 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 that, and that is that is fair I I just wanted to I just wanted to hone in on the fact that uh, back then. That's just what cartoons right. were. Right, right, right. I, I, I definitely would appreciate an arc. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like anything that makes these characters better would be greatly appreciated. Because uh, I do love that movie, and I wish, I, I, I kind of one wish thing they that, could do with they did a sequel, but I, I don't want to risk them screwing other stuff up. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed about the film was. The commitment to like in like in character gags or like cartoon rules, such as sure. like like being able to sing on command, like when when Christopher Lloyd like like uh, he interrogates the entire bar, right? And he, <laughs> and he brings I, in the- that Harvey gag went right over my head for years. <laughs> so so cut. yeah, so um, he brings in the vat. He demonstrates to us, the audience, how how what uh, how the dip works. Okay, I gotta you know, say because everybody says it, that poor shoe did nothing wrong. It didn't. It that didn't. No, shoe. It, that shoe is dead now. Very it, dead. It, 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 it's not fair. No. Uh, that scene. Doom is a dem- bastard. <laughs> yeah, that scene demonstrates that one Doom is a bastard, and that two tunes can die. Yeah, there's and a legit threat to them now. Yeah, they and they can die horrible deaths. But they also still have to adhere to these rules that puts them in trouble, such as shave and a haircut. And Two that shit bits. made me lull so hard the, as a kid. The kicker for me is the buildup because he's just doing it. And for a little while, you're like, what is – what's the point? And Eddie's – it's focused on him. Like, I don't know what he's doing. And he turns around and Roger is about to Robert, burst. He's, Robert's about to burst. And as a kid, I was like – I okay. So I had never – I would never heard of the shave and a haircut bit. I, I knew the song, point. the rhythm, but not the name. Yeah. So so when that happened, I was like, wow, what is this? And, and, and Roger just explodes out the wall. Well, he's Kool-Aid, man. <laughs> I was like, he Kool-Aid man. He just Kool-Aid man oh, yeah. out the wall. <laughs> oh, God. It was – okay. So he, he has that bit. But um, I, I got ahead of myself with that. That's that's, that, okay. that's how that's that's how ingrained this movie is in my head. Uh, so he has this gigantic song number, uh, yes. Or or like like the record player goes on repeat <laughs> and he starts like dishes. no pain, started, no pain, no pain. He starts breaking the dishes, <laughs> and as an adult, I'm like, that costs money, yeah, Roger. Yeah. No, you have, you're gonna you have uh, Dolores. <laughs> I think it's her name. That he's love rightfully freaking out, like, hey, hey, hey. hey. Stop, please. You're going to put this poor woman out of business. And you noticed uh, the end joke about what the song was, right? Um, What was the end joke? Uh, did the melody sound familiar to you? Uh, It's the um, it's the Merry Melodies theme, right? Yeah. The yeah. So it's originally oh, a song called The Merry-Go-Round Broke Down, and that's why Judge Doom is looking at what they're playing and is like, oh, quite a song for a loony. He says, like, for a loony bunch or something. And right. it's a little Easter egg that would probably go on, over most people's heads. That went over my head as a child because I was, and it shouldn't have because I was watching Looney Tune cartoons. But yeah, I was just but like, you, not everybody knows the name of that song. That's a deep cut. Yeah. The name. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I can't describe just how 
much of an impact that movie had for me because it was just something that my dad picked up from like Errol's or something like an Errol's. Oh, Errol's, wow. Er- before Blockbuster, Blockbuster, Errol's was the place to go for like VHS. They co- well, there was one near me that I think existed uh, for a while alongside another mom and pop shop. Then it got bought out by Blockbuster, and both those coexisted for a while. Yeah. So also, I dad- recommend the last Blockbuster. That's a f- uh, fun documentary. God, I, I will check that out at some point. My dad gets me, uh, Roger Rabbit sits me down and we watch it. And it's a, a, a most amazing experience for me. Like it opened my eyes both in the best way and the worst way because it causes <laughs> me, because, you know, I'm acting out in school because I, I love these fucking cartoons so much and teachers don't know how to settle me down. Uh, so they're complaining to my parents and whatnot. Uh, and uh, they start, my teachers had to find a way uh, or like they aggressively um, they aggressively recommend a psychiatrist. Mm. Uh, and so uh, the psychiatrist, you know, sits me down for a few weeks and we talk about, you know, my feelings and, and, and you know, and, and shit. And he, after a couple of weeks, he comes back to my parents, both my dad and my grandmother uh, who were taking care of me at the time. Mm. And he's like, so he's just a kid. That's it. <laughs> That's my diagnosis. I diagnosed this kid with being a kid. Is this being a kid? So it's it was. Uh, so we got we got our little laughs, and we were able to like everybody needs to tell, laugh. We were able to tell the teachers to fuck off a little bit because they were they were they were very like you need you need to put this kid on medication or whatever. That sounds like oh okay. Um, Speaking of someone who's like, been on meds, it's not the best thing. It, it may, yeah, it may not be. It's not a catch-all solution, right? No, no. So it's like, and you, and and it's a lot of trial and error because you have to find the right meds, make sure you have the right person that's telling you to get on the right meds and find the right dosage. Yep. And you can't. So for teachers to just say that, and for there not to be a specific reason for um, to even recommend it, aside from your child's being disruptive, is. Uh, very irresponsible and it and as i got older i kind of realized just how bad that was just because like all i was doing was just liking the stuff that i loved that's it and yeah there were times where i was being disruptive in class but as a teacher it's your job to kind of keep me in check right and and make it so that you're helping me pass instead of blaming my being a kid for being a kid, you know? So it's like... <laughs> I like that our, our discussion of Who Framed Roger Rabbit has turned into a critique of the American education system. Oh, God, it has. It has. It, it all has. connects. It, it Well, it connects for me. Yeah, so, that's just perfectly and, valid. And, and in a lot of ways, like, that movie, um, because of its merging of real life and, and, and cartoon realities, made me believe that, you know, cartoons actually exist... And allowed me to, uh, uh, and and inspired me to act as zany and as hyper as I could as a child because as a child that's what you do when you have a lot of energy. Can't really get baloney in your slacks. <laughs> I would sing that a lot. Same. <laughs> I, I would often get in trouble for it. I because didn't. I, played, my, I got to the point where my parents knew the lyrics, and my dad still quotes it in the Freakazoid theme. Ah, that's cool. So, um, yeah, it, for. for it was it was odd at first having elementary school and middle school teachers kind of give me shit for that. Mm. Um, you just had to be and, yourself. But the clue 
or the the solution to that wasn't to discipline me ad nauseum or to discipline me at every chance. It was to find a creative outlet so I can either express burn it. off this, well, either burn off this energy or express it in a way that was uh, that helped me be functional. Uh, so very er so very early on, um, I got involved in acting classes. Oh, nice. Yeah, so whether or not I was, you know, doing stuff on stage at school or going to legit acting classes mm -hmm. uh, as, um, as like, uh, just a young kid, like, that was, that kind of helped me kind of refine a lot of my, uh, uh, a lot of my outbursts as a stupid, dumb kid who liked cartoons too much. And now uh, you're able to do voices in your own stuff as a kid, <laughs> as an adult who likes cartoons too much. Well, now it makes more sense, right? Because it all does. this... Yeah, all this is just entertainment. All this is just being able to express yourself in an entertaining filmmaking sort of way. Yeah. So, uh, it Roger Rabbit uh, uh, in in ways that I can describe, but it takes too long for me to describe, but are still logical and it's still very grown up ways that I can yeah. describe. I do want to uh, say something like because we're kind of low on time for this, but uh, gotcha. something I want to say kind of. Looking at this movie, at, like we talked about how animation has changed and such, and the fact that this is a real love letter to both noir, but also that kind of initial like thirties to fifties golden age of theatrical shorts. Yeah, like you, I don't think you could focus on this topic and make something on this scale today. Because when you look at it, like the reruns and distribution of these old cartoons and stuff, like we had VHS and broadcast TV, it hasn't really translated as prominently in the era of streaming and like Zoomers. So mm -hmm. and like outside of the core Looney Tunes and Mickey Crew, uh, there are a lot of icons here that are becoming like lost to time. Yeah, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of characters here that you really don't see too often. There's like, some I barely know anything about. Like I only recently found out that that Lena Hyena, the oh my, like that's an actual character. I thought she was just oh. like a a gag made up for the movie. I, I actually did not know that she was a character. Yeah, I think they. I think she was obscure even for the time. Um, wow. Oh, and I will say one of my favorite quick quick jokes is uh, how Betty Boop is now a waitress because the error of color has kind of made yeah. black and white only ones fall by the wayside, which is kind mm. of a parallel to how the Fleischers ditched her for Popeye. Yeah, and it's a shame. It, it, I mean, that is that is a definite like callback because you don't really see a lot of you didn't see a lot of Betty Boop even back then. Also, this is, this is one of the last eight. times one of the last times her voice actress uh, did it as well. Oh wow. Yeah, she was also olive oil and one of the uh, relatives in National Lampoon's Christmas. Jeez, <laughs> that's that's wild, dude. Yeah, funny was... deep cuts like that. And then she has one of my so, favorite like joke lines when Jessica's introduced and Eddie's like, "She's married to Roger," and, and <laughs> Betty responds, "I know. What a lucky gal." Yeah, what a lucky girl. Like, what? What does this dude have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Jessica says it. He makes me laugh. That's what makes matters to them. Yeah, that is what matters to them. There is, um, there is so much that goes into this movie, uh, like all the hard work, all the insane bullshit that a lot of the animators have to have to deal with. A lot of the actors have to deal with too. Yep. Uh, Cast, crew, I, animators, all of it. I, I remember watching the uh, watching the interviews of the animators. Comment. I'm sorry, watching the animators' commentary. Um, and one of the anim uh, one of the animators had said that Bob Hoskins is uh, one of the best and one of the greats uh, of the time. Sure. And even then, 
they still had to they still had the cheat like they they still had the cheat roger because um bob's eyeline was off for that one take oh so is this they, the one where he's hugging the wall yes that's good it worked out for them that it's a scene where he roger is audibly and visibly stressed so he's gonna do stuff yeah. like try and make himself scarce and yeah because so because they, eddie's looking a little higher up they have roger like stretch and squish against the wall and it, it just if you don't know Eddie, then it's that about the behind the scenes thing it works yeah it, like it made sense for the scene so they were able to like use that kind of yeah that fortunate kind of accident trick. yeah the trick to kind of make it work uh, and i will and, say uh, I think I know we brought Bob Hoskins up before. If I had ever met him and said I mainly knew him as Mario Mario, he mm-hmm. would probably just punch me in the face. He would probably not want to talk to you. He, I wouldn't blame him because that movie was a uh, goddamn nightmare for him and everybody involved. Thank you, Corona. <laughs> on that note, um, let's save what we have and uh let's get to our main well i guess we have two main topics today we're giving them equal billing one second please stand by actually we'll just add real quick that because chris recommended we just do do some final thoughts uh i i really dig this movie i did as a kid other than being terrified of of one part um but i think nowadays it's both a -a one-of-a-kind technical achievement and a really solid story and love letter to a bunch of things uh and like i've said it kind of has become its own sort of time capsule because a lot of its uh, stuff pays tribute to is not as big as it used to be. But for people our age, uh, it still holds a lot of a lot of special value. And honestly, I think if you're a student of animation today, 2D or otherwise, you should check this out for some incredible uh, technical and, and, and animation work. And Chris, anything yeah. you wanted to say to sum up your thoughts? That's essentially the long and short of it. Like you said, everything I wanted to say, especially the part where it's it's worth studying from. I, I know there are animators today who don't really pay much attention to this film because the big stuff right now is anime. Uh, so that's that's usually like a, a, a lot of the inspiration that um, sure. that a lot uh, that a lot of that the newest wave of animators are pulling from. But there is still a lot to learn from in regards to that old age of animation. Yep. Um, and I'm not talking Roger Rabbit. I'm talking like way beforehand, like the MGM stuff or um, the... Um, Looney Tunes. Ray Melodies. Yeah, the Looney Tunes stuff, the Fleischer stuff, the um, the um, Tex Avery stuff, Bob Clampett stuff. Uh, there's there's so much to comb through. Even the... Um, there is a group of animators that, that, um, that broke off from Disney that made their own studio that were very... Um, they didn't do things as fluidly or as thoroughly, and they're very—I don't want to say they were cheap, but they were made less expensively. Uh, what is that called? It wasn't um, UPA, did, was it? It was UPA because they did like what Gerald McBoyne. Gerald McBoyne Boy is the one I know. I've seen one called one offshore called Rudy Toot Toot that was really stylized. Yeah, I remember that. So there is a reason why there is so uh, uh, all this is Western stuff, but there's. There's stuff coming from Russia. There's stuff from France. There's animation from. Uh, there's definitely animation from China and Japan, yeah. especially Japan. And a lot of those techniques and a lot of those uh, workflows that are here today are because of all the work that was done way before Roger Rabbit. Oh and yeah, Roger Roger Rabbit is just an amalgamation of all the western stuff, all the all the western stuff that I've. Yeah, it's it's Rabbit. been said people like the nine old men at Disney were kind of creating an art form at the time. They had to yeah. pioneer stuff because nobody else was. Yeah, but even 
even since then, and everyone, um, I don't want to say everyone knows this, but it is no surprise that a lot of anime back in the old times were copying off of a lot of Disney stuff, even to the point of like borrowing the big, the gigantic. Tezuka got the big eyes from stuff like Bambi and, and Disney animals. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very that's a very Disney-fied look. It's very cyclical. Um, so whenever I hear see people saying that, oh no, that uh, people are trying to Disneyfy Japan, and I'm like, well, they already, they already um, did. <laughs> too late, bro. <laughs> Wait, it's been Disneyfied all along. Always has been. All, always has been. <laughs> Click. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, there's, ro- ro- oh, go ahead. Final learn, thoughts. There's a lot to learn from, um, and I would say, like, please. Uh, Find a way to study, not just from anime, but also from a whole bunch of different stories. Yeah, even, it doesn't – it would not hurt to get a bunch of different influences and shape – take the, your favorite pieces of each. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to do. Um, yeah. All right. Let's save this. You're up against one of the Earth's greatest traffic technologies, the child safety lock. <gasps> no, no. How could you do this to me? The great and lovable paradox. I want to start this discussion by saying and I think – you and me and probably many listeners we have as geeks or fans of certain things, I think we can all relate to the fact that as much as we want to get it, as much as we do get attached to things and as much as us, us cartoon or anime or media geeks want to be a part of every phenomenon, uh, sometimes things just don't click with you. Sometimes things just aren't for you. Case in point, I watched like half the first season of Demon Slayer recently because that show has been a phenomenon. I'm like, this is gorgeous, but I'm bored. I'm sorry. Mm. This is not for me. Uh, Fair. Yeah. So case in point, sometimes you need to give things a a little bit more of a longer shot to see them develop. Years ago, not back when it first premiered, but probably like midway through the run, I tried checking out Steven Universe's first season on Hulu, and I liked it, but I was not getting the hype. It was not particularly deep. It was not particularly... uh, It had some neat, like, not thematic, but world-building elements to it. But I was seeing like this fandom pop up, this very intense fandom and these claims, and I was just like, I'm, it's good, but I'm just not seeing it. But as time passed, as more shows covered it, like Generation Mation devoted several episodes to it. You were on a couple, I believe. Mm, I was. Uh, and I basically decided to add this back onto my bucket list. Like I think there, people say it gets better, so I want to I want to give this another shot. So I can say now, having watched a lot of the main stuff. Holy shit, is Steven Universe wonderful? <laughs> this show, man, I was not ready for the way it started and where it ended up. It became some, it blossomed. Mm-hmm. So, what is so like your initial history with this? Did you watch it as it aired, basically, or fill me in? So, so I remember um, I had just started my new job, right? So uh, I had, um, I was working at CACI at the time, and I was like watching. No, I got I got word that Steven Universe was uh, had gotten picked up as a show. So I started to see like the key, the new key art. Because I, I had seen the pilot like a couple yes. years beforehand, and the pilot was great. I love the pilot, and uh, then I saw the key art for it uh, for the, like, the show itself. I remember this controversy. Like, yeah, and I was like, oh no, they changed the art. The Cal art style has yeah. oh so simplified <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, I was part. Of, uh, I was initially part of that stupid discourse until I started watching the show, and. The first season didn't jive with me. Yep. I have to admit, like, 
Like there were times, uh, like I only watched at the time. I only watched like uh, like the first slew of episodes from like uh, like uh, the 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 hot dog episode or Stephen getting the cat like be- turning into a bunch of shitty cats, kitty fingers. Or, like, yeah, the kitty fingers and the stupid. Uh, uh, I don't want to call it stupid, but the but the rose quartz cannon or whatever. And and it was it was cute, but I wasn't getting it. You know, right? Like, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't clicking. It wasn't until like the Lapis Lazuli episodes happened where I was like, "Oh, something's yep. happening." Yep. Here. So for me, I <laughs> like I said when I really when I checked this out, I, I one it felt the world felt unique, but the plot not so much did. And look, there's sometimes you can identify a fatal flaw, and it, this show for me, what became one of its biggest strengths was one of was its killing blow for me. Early Stephen is annoying as fuck. Mm-hmm. I can he sum up basically played. every ep- early episode from the first like dozen or so like this. Steven has a thing that he turns into a running gag. He comes along with the gems and it's just a nuisance, but he keeps reminding them about this running gag. They also tell him stuff like, hey, don't pull that switch. And he responds, oh, but I got a cheeseburger backpack. Oh, I should pull the switch. Oh, did I mention my cheeseburger backpack? And his goddamn voice. I've never been so grateful that an actor hit puberty early on and they went a different direction. Because you know what it hits me that he sounds like early on? He sounds like Grounder from the Sonic cartoons, only oh, as God. a kid. And he's the main character rather than side comic relief. The funny thing is that they actually do a slight reference to how annoying he was, like, yeah. like, like towards the end of the series. <laughs> he was like, hey, guys, remember how I was really annoying? And I could feel everyone groan because, uh, like, everyone watching that show at that point has basically grown with all the characters. They've seen, like, yes. all the characters fuse. Yes. They know they know what the diamonds mean. They know what uh, th- they know. The what different paradise. backgrounds and origins and conflicts each crystal gem has. Yep. Mm-hmm. They, by that point, like they have seen not only Stephen and uh, Stephen and the characters and his universe. Uh, blah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they've not only seen all these characters grow, but they've seen the production grow. So when I first saw the show first season i wasn't really in love with the character designs as a lot of people were not but i didn't exactly i didn't exactly stay with that discourse for too long and i think it's because once the design started changing that i started to warm up a bit and that's usually that was at the time when the show was finding its legs with its own in-universe story i can name two episodes where i felt like it started to find its voice um i don't know if you've seen either of them did you see the early one where steven is trying to celebrate their birthday and he starts aging Yes. The end of that gets legit emotional because they are terrified he's going to die. And I'm like, shit got real. And and I should have told myself, yeah, get used to that. Get used to that. See, that was an episode that I I saw where I was like, like an episode before that, I was like, man, I'm not feeling that this show. And then the show would pull that episode or something like it. I'll be like, God damn it. Something very (laughs) genuine. And, over time, that becomes like the norm. Even if, yeah. even if it's not heavy, it's like it starts finding grasp on its humor, on its characters, on its identity. Like, I, I totally get if when when you're starting a production with a lot of people, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Sometimes it can take a little while for things to fully congeal. And I'm guessing this would happen here. I don't know how public they've been about it. Um, mm-hmm. But the other episode that I think, uh, I say the first episode that really felt to me like the show because i think the show starts to hit its stride in season one which i guess is like i said when the lapis stuff happens and then peridot uh the coach steven episode where steven wants to get everybody in shape 
uh, mm. I think is both genuinely funny. Like, I think I had my first hard laugh when Greg, who we need to talk about, is like, Pearl, I want to watch some buff guys. And you see her, like, her eyes dart up and down. And she just goes very melancholy. No. <laughs> I had to pause laughing with that. Um, but it's also one of, no, it's not the first first one, but it's one of the early, when it does a full-on musical number where, you know, it's it's Pearl's like, why won't you let it be like this? And why? I, I don't remember the lyrics, but like this is where the show starts to feel like something special to me. And then it really, it becomes that. It goes, this show's from a kind of okay, has its moment show to one of the best and deepest all ages cartoons I've ever watched. Yeah, it's very... It's one of the few cartoons that I would actually call emotional, and I don't oh. mean emotion. I don't mean emotional in a way where, as like a jokey joke, like when Amethyst pulls a fourth, uh, breaks the fourth wall, and is like, "I don't know, man. There's too much crying in this show." I, I don't mean that. <laughs> I, I was thinking at points. I didn't see that episode. <laughs> people cry over everything. <laughs> people do cry over everything in this show, but the fact that they're able to explain why they're crying and the, the yes. reasons why they're crying is actually empathetic it's like, a super like, super emotionally driven show like all the conflicts are driven by like disagreements basically yeah and, or, and differences or, of, of of viewpoints or or just straight up like not even miscommunication like oh no i forgot my homework but but bradley has my homework and she did it for me or or some dumb shit i'm, I'm talking like miscommunication as in like um the episode where and this, this is this is a this is one of the bigger ones so yeah. like when when Par- after after paradox forms a truce with the character crystal gems and i think the show kind of peaks here mm-hmm. um and 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 paradox is like um she talks about like going back to homeworld how great homeworld could have made earth and then she talks to yellow diamond yeah, and she talks to Yellow Diamond. She well, she explains this. Uh, Peridot explains to Stephen before that, mm. and she's like, "I know what your problem is," <laughs> and she's like, and she explains it as logically as Peridot is able to explain it because Peridot is is essentially a very logical person. Yeah. Manic, yes. Emotional, yes. Uh, uh, probably one of the most uh, one of the most emotional characters on the show, but she's also very logical. So she kind of. When she, in her early she, appearances, she's pure logic. She's like yeah. very com- like computational. Yeah. So when it comes to her talking to Yellow Diamond, that kind of betrayal isn't based on. <laughs> now you'll see, <laughs> you'll all see. It's you'll you'll definitely see what what I'm trying to say. Right. Because there's a lot of potential in this world, and I will make you all see, especially Yellow Diamond. Like that's the kind of com- miscommunication that I love because it invites drama and it invites emotion in a way where it makes characters become people. Because yeah. even good people make fucked up decisions, and bad people can make good decisions. Oh yeah, uh, that's how. That's just how great our world really is. Um, yeah, yeah. And- then like we. I, I feel like season one, if it is also guilty of something unfocused, like it really wants to be about Steven and it wants to be about Pearl. Like mm-hmm. Amethyst and Garnet, you got to wait a bit to get their their deals. Um, yeah. And Pearl is, for someone who you think is going to be like the straight man voice of a reason, Pearl is a tremendously flawed character and I love it. Yes. Yeah, I think Pearl's like one of my favorites. Honestly. Oh, she's, she is so multidimensional, but it all adds up with with her because and so much of it goes back to her 
her her love and admiration for Rose. Mm-hmm. Like it all all seems to stem from both, you know, the big action with Pink Diamond that the two of them kept secret forever until we get our yeah. big Pearlception episode. Um and and her her love for 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 Rose. Like there's this is also a very progressive show. Like there's when we get to the stuff about um Garnett being secretly Pokemon Gen 3, Ruby and Sapphire, uh, they get married in a, in a later episode. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, 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 I, it's clearly made with, uh, I don't want to say, saying so, agenda makes it sound shitty, but it's, it's it, it, it promotes a very open approach to people and life. Uh, yeah. And a very, and the idea of understanding and the importance of truly talking things out and viewing different viewpoints. Cause I want to get to, I didn't full disclosure. I didn't watch the, uh, I didn't have time to watch the movie and future, which capped the series off, but I did get through a lot of key episodes up to change your mind and change your mind. was an experience. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. I want to, I want to, we still got time to talk about it. what are some other things you want to bring up? Cause I've been, I've been kind of steering this ship. So you brought up the movie, and I always think it's kind of interesting. Um, no, I'm sorry, not the movie. You brought up the wedding, and I always think it's kind of interesting um, when we get to that point because it's around that time when the creator, Rebecca Sugar, was having a hard time trying to convince Cartoon Network that this sh- uh, what the wedding could be, right? Right, right. Because a, a, uh, a, a same-sex wedding is rarely done for cartoons. If yep. that was first one if i'm not mistaken so that was a huge deal yeah and um, then, then mr rapper got gay married and broke the internet <laughs> yeah so there was um apprehension let's put it that way sure um uh, because i mean that's a risk and yep. could alienate cartoon, some people and cartoons i'm not sure how true this is um but they're primarily driven or targeted towards Young boys, nine mm. to eight to nine to eleven, sure. and uh, 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 it differs from studio to studio. I'm sure some studios are like, well, we try to we try to position girls, but girls age out at this specific age. Which, look, uh, I, I get that you need to run these cartoons so you can uh, so you can make commercials. It also makes it harder to run a wedding episode when you're trying to convince um, boys to watch. Well, you're trying to convince boys to watch, yes. So you you might have to say add in some action scenes in order to make it work, or and then it kind of balloons the episode to a point where you've never really done this large an episode before, <laughs> where it's just like one huge episode uh, that has a fight in the middle, plus a song, plus a gigantic reveal, plus animation that you've technically never really done in this show before, plus uh, um, plus kind of uh, cap off some other story elements like um, the giant uh, 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 world uh, uh, world shaped fusion that's underneath the world's the cluster. crust. Yeah, the cluster. Oh man, there were there's a lot that went into the, um, to that episode, and it kind of when I read the the notes from the latest Steven Universe book um, that came out. Yeah, um, it kind of highlighted that. It's not just about these productions, um, even if uh, not just Steven Universe, right? Like I'm talking like Looney Tunes show. I'm talking Teen Titans. I'm talking uh, uh, Thundercats, uh, uh, SpongeBob. Every show has its production woe. 
only because we're all human and to err is human to err is human and as artists we need to figure we need to trial and error our way into making sure that we keep the target demographic happy or at least keep people interested in watching uh, watching at enough numbers that justify yep. uh, more episodes. Keep things on schedule and keep ratings on track. Yes. So whenever I hear stories like that, trying very uh, trying very hard to satisfy viewers, trying um, trying uh, while at the same time trying different kinds of production techniques to satisfy your own innate artistic needs or even the artistic needs of the staff such as varying uh, varying up the, um, the storyboarding styles or the visual styles uh so they're uh so you know who it is for each episode this is a long-winded winded way of saying not that animation is not that animation is hard but you got to start thinking about how production works yep. is it because, because a successful thing or a successful show isn't just successful because the story is good. I mean, because people are talented why, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's why you like it. Yes, right. That's the the reason why you like Stephen. It's also why the you, how it happens. Yeah, the the reason why you've come to like Stephen is because somewhere along the lines, writers have said we've got to get away from annoying Stephen and start giving him things to care about besides his 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 shitty childhood things we got yes. we got to start we we got to start having him think about not just being a crystal gem but what it means to the crystal gems for him to become a crystal gem you know yes. so there there was this episode where steven goes through the crystal gem trials or some shit right okay. where, where where garnet amethyst and pearl are training steven they put him through the the, the gauntlet essentially and Steven is doing pretty well until one point when he's about to face certain death. Like, holy shit, I failed. But it does, but but the trap that he runs into doesn't kill him. And in fact, it doesn't really hurt him. It doesn't really do anything at all. He finds out that this entire gauntlet was just this ruse. Not, and he starts to get really mad. Like, ah, they pranked me. God, they, they fucking punked me, man. <laughs> they don't even trust me. So he goes to he goes to tell them off. But he overhears them like kind of lamenting that they don't know what they're doing. Like they're trying very hard to train Steven, but they don't know how yeah. to train Steven. That's, so I, having, I love that yeah. the show has points where like even though they're the mentors, like the Crystal Gems have group vulnerabilities. Like I think you can it's pretty I think it's pretty reasonable to call Jasper the main villain of the first season. Mm-hmm. Um and when they know that she's coming back, like they're they're just quietly sitting in in that like their lounge, and Garnett admits they're all scared of what's coming. Yeah, and they're not sure how, what to do about it. Yeah, so seeing Stephen kind of grow from that point, that's not just like the writing has gotten so good; it's the writers have gotten better at figuring out who Stephen is, and they've they've kind of planned out like, so we need to take him from one point in order to get him to this point. And we figured out how to do it in a way that's entertaining. That's the and, thing. Uh, like s- the center of the show is – and I love the scope of this – is Stephen gradually helping people grow um, mm-hmm. because he is this powerful but 
good-hearted soul who wants the best for everyone, doesn't want to resort to violence, intimidation, or to alienation. He really just, he wants to do whatever he can to get people to like, he says multiple times, stop and listen, stop and talk, mm-hmm. like actually get a grasp on what's going on between each of you. Like yeah. he's got in a way more wisdom than them when it comes to that. Yeah. And, and that's just how he's built, right? Like he's built to be that person. Uh, and I like that the show in and of itself says that. And I also like that the writers have taken it several steps forward into displaying that. And when it comes to the movie and when it comes to future, actually addressing that. And I, I, I've known people uh, and I've heard people say that mm, doesn't really vibe. doesn't doesn't really vibe with who Steven is. But after watching Future, I get it <laughs> because it's like he goes through so much shit. Yeah, in, in, I read in the- a little synopsis about what he goes through and what the ultimate conflict of Future is, and it comes from within him. Yeah, and th- and I think that's and that's the- a really smart move to do when you basically you took on like you can't get a bigger villain than White Diamond post that. Yeah. so it's like let's make the trouble from within. Yeah, the trouble comes from not just from within. But the center of the show, the center of the show is essentially emotional and mental health. Like it yep. says, it says simultaneously that yes, Garnet is per- uh, Garnet is perfect for herself because Ruby and Sapphire have found each other in their um, in uh, have found each other not only in their own bliss but also in their own um, also in their own um, purpose. Uh, in their, well, in their own purpose, for lack of a better word. Um, and that kind of keeps them isolated from other relationships, either from being the kind of person that Pearl wants her to be, which kind of fucks that relationship up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one of my favorite episodes where they become sardonics, um, but also leads to Pearl realizing what, um, in a, in a low key kind of way, what consent means, uh, what yes. it means. To kind oh, which he kind of, uh, that's yeah. an, oh my, one of my favorite things that they do there to touch on is that becomes an arc of the next couple episodes because Pearl betrays her trust. Garnett refuses to talk to her. And mm-hmm. my favorite little observation on it is when that episode, do you remember what, uh, Amethyst's closing line is? What was it? Man, it's too bad. Life's not like a cartoon where everything's just cleared up by the end of the episode. Episode ends. <laughs> Cute. Like it's, it's kind of it's putting his mission statement there. Like we're trying to be a little more realistic and and developed than what you would expect. Yeah, and I think that I think that being able to talk about those relationships and emotional health in a way that's both entertaining but also poignant is very um, is very helpful to kids. Oh man, up. you're you're talking uh, in these impactful moments, and you've mentioned Lapis, who's probably my favorite design of of. The crystal gems. I like the fact that she actually has like a kind of a dress because most of them are they're more armored looking. Um, mm-hmm. But the the boating episode where Jasper comes back because I I had already heard it from people talking about like their relationship and their fusion stuff that you could see it as an analogy for abuse and I was like yeah I kind of see it. Then Jasper's flat up like I'm I'm different now. This time will be different. I'll treat you better. I didn't value you and just like holy shit. Yeah, it's rough. And- yeah. Oh, Jasper is <laughs> and- a bastard. She she is. I love Jasper for that. Um, she's a very entertaining character. Uh, yes, there are cartoons that need to do it. Um, I'm not saying cartoons. Uh, in the way Shows? I want to. 
Um, there are shows, yes. There are shows that can explain that dynamic in better ways. And yes, Steven Universe is a children's show that does address the topic of emotional and uh, uh, of emotional and even physical abuse. Oh yeah, and a, yeah, at least a prisoner. In a way, yeah, and at least in a way that's palatable to child audience. Yes, you don't have her getting slapped across the face multiple times yeah. or something. This is a this is this is still a kids show talking about. Yeah. Um, talking about uh, these kinds of traumas in 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 the in the sphere of the Y seven rating block. Yeah, so, uh, like they found a very clever workaround when they're like, "Well, gems don't get killed; they get shattered. They get shattered," <laughs> which and becomes then, uh, a huge conflict when you start getting into the pink diamond stuff because yeah, they believe Rose crossed the line, they, and they it turns out that- she crossed another sort of line because deceit. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of what I get the, the gist of in terms of uh, Stephen's arc and showing that, you know, he's not Rose. He that's something pe- characters up to the final episode want to believe, that Rose is still in there, that he's not really his own person. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't want to walk away from stuff to make it easier for himself. He wants to genuinely sort problems out, which is another really good moral. Yeah. And the show is... It's it's so good being able to watch a show that talks about emotional health and or even mental health. I needed it <laughs> in a way that's entertaining. Not 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 every show. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. Not every episode is successful at it. I'm 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 not a huge fan of the. I'm not a huge fan of the Onion episodes, and I know everyone hates the Ronaldo episodes. Don't get me wrong. Ronaldo's fucking uh, crazy. Ronaldo is crazy, but. Uh, it's unfortunate that they couldn't keep the dynamic that they had when they uh, when they had the when they had the what I'm gonna call it the his episode. No, 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 no. Uh, I would have loved to see more of his little brother too. Uh, there was an episode where his, his little brother. Used. Yeah, there's there's an episode where his little brother talks about working until you die, and I'll, and I'll, and I was like, oh, that's that's something to talk about, right? <laughs> uh, but they didn't address it anymore, and I was like, ah, okay. But Ronaldo had an episode with Lars and Susie, uh, the, the, whoever the the small uh, um, the small girl that Lars likes, Sadie. Uh, Sadie, yes. There's an episode where the, the three of them have a big have have a big fight at the lighthouse, and Stephen's in the middle of it, right? And that was like the only episode that I genuinely love, and I stuck with Ronaldo uh, for a long time, hoping that an episode like that would happen again. And it didn't. He never so, got his moment. I, I, yeah. I'll admit because I – there's a lot of episodes of the show. Even though they're only like 11 minutes, I think there's over 100 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in order to try and watch enough where I could reasonably talk about it, I I basically looked up where the – I watched most of season one and two and then looked up where the important episodes and stuck to those sure. up through season five because uh, Change Your Mind can be – could be a finale if it had wanted if they wanted it. Um, sure. And the, the, the main big thing that fell victim to that were those kind of filler for the actual plot, but fleshing out the inhabitants of Beach City episodes, because uh, it's very smart with its cast, um, its supporting cast, I feel. Yeah. I'm surprised Sinbad is in that show. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the first two or so seasons, he was recast after that. But I remember I remember you brought that up when uh, I mentioned we mentioned the Sinbad joke in Freakazoid. Oh, right. Yeah. OK. Yeah, I do remember that. All right. So. And then can I say I love his his training video, mm-hmm. which is totally a spoof of those. You've seen like the Wendy's hot drinks video, right? Yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> hot drinks. I, <laughs> so, 
Um, and so the show itself, I think, is there's a lot that goes into these cartoons. And we forget that how stressful production can be. Sure. I'm not saying this is an apology. I'm, uh, I'm like, trying to. I'm not saying this trying to uh, apologize for the show's shortcomings because there's a lot of criticism that can. Um, there's a lot of criticism that can be thrown at the show. Some of it justifiably, some of them not so justifiably. But I do think that it's an um, seeing something like that kind of go from a season where I was kind of indifferent towards it. I was kind of eh. There's cool things about it to going oh, i can't wait for the next steven bomb or yep, yep. whatever the hell they were calling him that's uh, it calling those large episode drops like i went from that i went from zero to 60 so fast on that show and it, it felt really good <laughs> like better than like the alternative ep- yeah so there is a there was a show i'm sorry there was an episode where um steven goes into like his little Rose Quartz Mindscape or whatever. Rose's Room. Uh, yeah, Rose's Room. And like he concocts like this uh this imaginary version of his mom. And you know, they play football and they have like the greatest time of their life. They do a Charlie Brown reference. Yeah, they do a Charlie Brown reference, which is cute. And then it just goes fucking crazy. Like he like he realizes she's not real and all this pent up like bullshit that he has like that he kind of like has buried deep down for a while just starts bubbling up calls her a liar calls her like pretty much puts her on the spot for so much crap that she's that she did before he was born and how it's now on his shoulders to fix yep and now not only is that such a key moment for his character like right, like especially writing wise, like right, because the writers have done so much work to get him to that point, and taking him from the cookie cat piece of shit that he was in season one, yep. and taking him to the point where he's calling out his mom for her own for her own shortcomings before he was even born. It takes a lot to reach that point in the story, and it's so much to respect. Yeah, I. Th- because it's not only it not only shows the strength of the writing and the and the core of the show, but it also shows once you get the future, you'll see why that's bad. <laughs> Actually, oh. I mean, not, not, not bad in a way where it's like, oh, the writers screwed up, but bad in a way where it's bad for Stephen yeah, to yeah. have kind of taken that on. Okay, we've only got about ten minutes left, so let me just say. I apologize to our viewers who have seen all of this, like the movie and future, that we're not really going to go into the depths of that. But I do got to talk about Change Your Mind because I had to skip around a lot for those those last couple seasons. So there were some key stuff I missed. But holy shit, what a finale. Yeah. That was powerful. That was great. Uh, Like you get this huge fight. You get – I guess it's the what first time they all – all four of them fused together for Obsidian, which is like the coolest design. Yes, it was. Obsidian was really awesome. And yeah, and and then everything goes to another level when you finally I love the fact that White Diamond is so hands off everybody that you don't even really see her for a while. She has this big mech like effigy of herself. And then when you go inside, she is such a creepy, controlling, despicable person and mm-hmm. you really wonder how the fuck is Steven going to get through to her and 
it's not about ultimately about that's a case where it's not about his words or his actions. It's about who he is. She mm-hmm. separates him. So you basically have his human side dying and then his pure power. And she's expecting Rose come out. She's stuck hard to this belief. You're still Rose Quartz. You're still Pink Diamond. You're not this this little guy you're saying you are. And she sees it him for who he is and the power that he has because of that. And that is what causes her to falter. And you've just got all these like stylistic touches. Like it's all monochrome in there with everybody she possesses and talks except for him and Connie. And the music is getting intense. And, and that shot where it's – they do a split screen for each half of Steven – Oh yeah, that was when, beautiful. When the the, uh, the 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 one is formed from the diamond, it turns around and looks at the original, and you see it rotate like that. It's like this is incredible. Yeah, this is like was, I'm watching a goddamn movie. Yeah, it really it it really was. That moment was so like so well done, like artistically and and, and narratively. Like you get it. And I feel like, like the you, whole finale, you can see some anime influence in there. Oh, definitely. There, definitely. I, I, I wrote it down. Like there are a lot of visual nods to. I, I, I remember in an early episode, Stephen brought brings out some figurines. One is of Cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. One is of Guitaru Man, which I brought mm-hmm. up in our Meet Rhythm Game episodes. I thought nobody remembered yeah. that. Um, <laughs> he, he's always playing on a GameCube. There's a cutaway guy mm-hmm. with a playing Smash. Uh, yep. I think the big one. Uh, did you notice Space Lars and Blue Diamonds designs? Uh, Space Lars was when, when he stays in space for a while, and he has the captain. Yeah, outfit. yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like Harlock. What anime was that? Yes. Okay. 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 And so when I'll, you, I'll, yeah, and when you introduce Yellow and Blue Diamond, Blue Diamond's design, her facial structure and hair is very that same anime director Leiji Matsumoto. He has a template he likes to use for his heroines, and she yeah. was basically based on that. So I'm like, oh, there's some clear tributes going on, and down even down to the casting, like um. Uh, Connie's mom is Major Kusanagi. Oh, that's cool. And the one that tickled tickled my fancy is Mayor Dewey. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the creator of Mystery Science Theater. Joe oh, Hodgson. get out. That's By the cool. way, uh, Kickstarter for MST3K Revival going on right now. I already donated to it. Hopefully it'll still be going when this episode comes out. Please donate. That's a great show. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, and, and then getting back to, to Change Your Mind, you know, he's able through this – being who he is to get White Diamond to start to change. And then that last montage where they're reforming all the corrupted gems and, you know, Jasper comes out and they're showing her it's okay now and everybody's cheering up. Yeah, I was crying. I was like, I skipped so much and I'm still just like, look how far this has come. Look how where we started and where we are. Like, this is such an effective, you could have closed the book here. And I'm such excited to see where it goes as in terms of like being an epilogue and focusing on different conflicts. But I'm just like this is, this is one of the best kids. Kids, I'm doing quotey fingers cartoons I have ever seen. Yeah, I I have to agree that like there's From a lot humble that beginnings. This, yeah, like this show started out like as this big goofy thing, like this very monster of the week with some with with, with some inklings of something else. Yeah, going tiny on. bits. Yeah, and then when the something when those inklings start to like like he said blossom into something else it really becomes something else. Like that is, that is the core of the show. Like that becomes like what the, what the team, what the production team has always been trying to get to. Like that is, it's, it's so cool seeing that happen. 
Yeah, I'm. We're running low on time, so we should probably start wrapping things up. I'm sorry if you're sure. a big completionist fan of the show and we didn't talk about your favorite moment. But, but one, I was pressed for time, and two, there's so much to this show. Even if we watched all of it, we wouldn't have been able to. But I'm grateful that we could talk about it. And I hope my closing thoughts. So with how much Steven Universe tackles and handles honestly, like spectacularly for supposedly an all ages audience, I kind of can't believe this show happened. And especially yeah. how from such like a humble beginning, it just exploded into something so special, so deep, so clearly personal and a labor of love. And I'll tell you something else that has me excited because we've talked about influence. Can you imagine years from now when we start getting shows from people who are influenced for this, by this? Oh, yeah, that's going to be wild, man. We're going to get some <laughs> wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it has been such a hit and it has definitely left its mark on cartoon culture and – I'm so happy with to finally look at something for the bigger picture and go, I get it. So yeah, Chris closing thoughts on Steven universe. So my closing thoughts are uh, if you haven't watched, um, first of all, if you haven't watched the series or the movie or future, all of that's available on HBO max. That's where I watched um, it. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's a great series that talks about uh, emotional health and mental health in ways that starts out a little a little rough. Yes. I don't even say little. I'd say very rough. I'm going to tell my but, brother to watch it and maybe skip like the first 10 episodes. Yeah. But <sighs> once the story gets going, uh, you can hang with it and really start to see like if you're into – if you really want to see a show evolve from beginning to end, if you're interested in just taking like a, like a, a critical look or um, uh, and just be able to enjoy characters and see like where the creator's vision goes from top to bottom, whether or not that goes, whether or not it has to do with creative differences, or even the differences between um, different artists uh, in their styles, or even when it comes to uh, how the studio, um, how um, how Cartoon Network executives or even studio executives chime in with their thoughts, both positive, both negative, and how they affect the show. Uh, Steven Universe is really good about showing you that. Like it goes from uh, a kid who uh, it goes from a kid who likes uh, stupid ice cream sandwiches way way too much to having an existential breakdown in space. <laughs> and I think that's I, I I think that's wild that we have a show like that. I think it's super cool that we have a show like that, and it's. We've gone from the days of Hanna Barbera to Fleischer, um, um, Hanna Barbera and Fleischer cartoons, and uh, and cartoons that are just built to make you laugh, to shows that make you feel a wide range of emotions that cartoons really, sh- ha- I, w- I don't want to say shouldn't, but haven't been able to make people feel outside of the theatrical stuff. Yep. Uh, Give it a shot because yeah. I know anime does this a lot, but it's nice to see westerns, uh, western cartoons do it a lot too. Yes, this is this is me very encouraged for what the future holds. Honestly, mm-hmm. with how big, how well it did. Um, so that's going to bring the episode forward to a close. Chris, I want to thank you again for taking time out to to reconnect to, on the show and discuss so much cool stuff. It's always a treat to have you on. So, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter. Uh, I am. Uh, you can find me there at it's me, Chris Wade. Um, I always wanted to go. It's a me, Chris Wade. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that, but lose the a. Essentially. Yes, lose the Mario. 
Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at it's me Chris. Cody, shut up. We're done. You can find me at artful uh, at it's me Chris Wade as well. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter yelling about uh, cartoons, uh, pumping other people up, talking about my own little film. I uh, think I highly recommend if you if you enjoy Twitter a lot that you are because you, you offer a lot on your account. You do offer cartoons. You do offer personal th- personal projects you talk you talk a lot about real things going on in the industry in the real world like it's it's a lot of really cool stuff thank you i i i'm very tired <laughs> so aren't we it's, all aren't we all it's, it's, um, so it's very uh it's it's a lot so yeah you can find me there yep myself you can find me uh on twitter instagram and tumblr at behan art b-e-h-o-n-a-r-t uh i primarily post artwork in on on twitter and instagram and shit posts on tumblr and behind on YouTube, and also I'll be including this in the uh, show description for, from here on out. Uh, the Discord server I've been running. You can also find side projects at Wario Reanimated and Bobo Bo OOC for out of context Bobo Bo and Wario and Reanimated. Um, you can the Wario Reanimated Discord because we're deep into the follow up project and. We're hoping to have it done late next year, but I, we've got a cool community I want to keep going. I'm slowly turning into a general hub, both for other projects like this show and Spacious, and just general talk about movies, TV, cartoons, and games. Uh, and I also want to say it's, I've added a Sketch Watch Play channel to it, and we will be, we, uh, we will be reading uh, feedback on it in the future. So if you want to participate with your thoughts on sub topics or suggestions for topics please uh have at it the more the merrier but uh again this has uh been a wonderful episode chris i want to thank you again for providing so many fun stories thank you for having me and uh i cannot think of a good Stephen universe quote go out on uh unless you can chris uh let me think i should have thought of this beforehand i should have too uh it's fine uh thanks for joining us everyone Oh, it's a classic Stephen line. Yeah, that, when he when he when he just looks at the camera at the end, he goes, he goes "Thanks for joining us, everyone," and breaks the fourth wall. It's so good. Oh, I like I like it when he just goes. I, I I like it I like it a lot when he just looks at the camera and just goes, "Thanks, everyone. I love you." And uh, and that that breaks my heart every time. Oh. Like I'm like, no. <laughs> so yeah, the, that's fine. <laughs> it's not the last shot, but the way season four ended with him getting in the ship and going to Homeworld. Mm-hmm. Oh, this show's an emotional roller coaster. Go watch it. On that note, good good night, everybody. See ya. I don't need you to respect me. I respect me. I don't need you to love me. I love me. But I want you to know you could know me if you change your mind. If you change your mind. If you change your mind. Change your mind. My mind is the internet. I know every continuity mistake ever made on television.